Welcome to the Expedition Success Podcast, where we hope to elevate your mind through discussion with successful innovators, entrepreneurs, athletes, professionals, and creators on their journeys towards success. I'm your host, Liam Kaufman. And I'm your co-host, Michael Setiawan. Today, we are joined by my good friend, who I consider a brother, Jack Strzowski. Jack is one of the hardest workers I know and is currently a 19-year-old powerlifter who currently has a 1,171.5 pound for her squat bench and deadlift and a 500 pound non-competition squat at 150 pounds body weight, um, which is insane. I'll link that in the description because you guys definitely got to check that out. It's hard to comprehend, let alone watch, so give it a look. In particular, I'm super excited to have Jack on because I remember when we first started working out and training together and it's been awesome to see how much progress you've made and uh, what you're doing now. So happy to have you on, Jack. Happy to be here. So starting off, before I even ask you about when you got into powerlifting, what exactly is powerlifting? Because I feel like it's a lesser known sport. Um, and what's some of the structure between or behind like IPF and USAPL? Uh, so powerlifting is very simple, basically squat, bench, and deadlift. <clears throat> and then of those three, you add them up and you have a total. Um, and you also incorporate your body weight. So that's why I really like it. Um, you know, somebody who squats 500 at my body weight versus somebody who squats 500 at 200 pounds, um, in a competition, I would win on that pound for pound. So it's a pound for pound sport, kind of like wrestling. Um, so a lot of the time, it's kind of like you against you. Um, not to say that there's not other competition that you have at that same weight class, because there is a lot of competition in the sport. Um, but yeah, it's basically those three main lifts, and then you add them up and you get a total. Um, I do want to touch on what you said in the beginning about uh, non-competition squat versus what you said my total was. So my total in the gym is actually 1225 and actually no 1230. And then my competition is what you said, 1173, something like that. Um, so that kind of transitions me into like what a meet is, a powerlifting meet. Um, and a lot of people, including myself, uh, the first time I competed was October 17th of 2021. So literally a month ago. Um, and I think that marks my one and a half years from actually starting my powerlifting journey. Um, I didn't really understand completely the difference between, uh, what a meet was versus a gym total and doing stuff in the gym. So uh, I guess if you want me to, I can take you through what a meet day is. Is that cool? Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like that would be interesting to hear about because most people obviously just go to the gym, they work out. But when you actually are in a competition going against people, it's definitely a lot different. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so going into uh, the meet. Um, so what meet day is, is you have – uh, for my meet, we started lifting at 11. Um, I had to be there by nine. And so I had to leave around eight because it was only an hour away. Um, but I got there at nine. 
Um, and you kind of just wait around for everybody to get there. Um, and what we do <clears throat> in the USAPL specifically is two-hour weigh-ins. So your body weight, um, I competed at uh, 74 kilograms, which is 163 pounds. Uh, I actually weighed over 140. I weighed 150 when I competed. So what happens is if you go over that 145 mark or 165 mark, whatever it may be, you bump up automatically to that next weight class. However, when they calculate your score with your body weight, they use the weight that you weighed in at. Um, so, Wait, so like before you go ahead talking about it a little bit more, like with that score, is that between everyone at the meet or is that just the people in your weight class? That's everyone at that meet and in your weight class. It's both. Um, so what they do is you have indiv- you have awards for um, your different weight classes and ages. Uh, it depends on the meet, but uh, in my meet, I ended up placing third overall, um, regardless of weight class. Um, but they do uh, teen one, teen two, and teen three. So teen one is 14, 15, teen two is 16, 17, teen three is 18 and 19. And then from 20 to 23, you're considered a junior. And then from 23 on, you're in the open division. So you're, you know, you can be 23 competing against a 29-year-old and it's fair game. So your age isn't really that big of a factor if you're looking at it long term. I mean, there's plenty of people that are 19 and that are a lot stronger than me. That doesn't really mean anything five 10 years from now, if they're still doing it. I mean, I see myself doing it for that long. So, um, cause I have pretty big goals in the sport. Uh, but like, so being, having the different like age groups, do you, is there like one age group that's usually like, like as people would say, like in their prime, is that like the prime age for like lifting or is it kind of like all over the place where there's some kids who are like 18, 19, like yourself, who are just crazy versus maybe some guys who are older, like later 20s or even like 30 um it honestly i think it's all over the place you have you have people my age that can deadlift 700 and they may never touch over 700 again that might be their best um and then you have people that are 29 years old still progressing in the sport pretty pretty uh easily so my my personal opinion on it is that you're probably strongest in your late 20s. I'd say that's where your prime is. Um, but you definitely have some anomalies uh, that are very, very strong at their age, at like 19 and 20, which benefit them now. But when it's all said and done, you know, you could be 29 and still be, you know, you were the best 19-year-old lifter at that time, but it doesn't really matter anymore, you know. Um so yeah, I, I think the the prime age is probably your late twenties, I'd say. Um, but you never know. There's a lot of people that are really strong at a young age, and they, you know, they might fall off. That's kind of surprising because I feel like with powerlifting, that it's such a injury heavy sport. I could be wrong. Like we'll definitely talk about that later. But making it like that, having lifted for like that long, if you're in your late twenties, probably like almost ten years. Like that's kind of crazy that you can lift that long without having any injuries or just getting around that yeah it's a lot about taking care of yourself um that's why we wear knee sleeves i mean knee sleeves really help i mean they help 
they help a little bit with squatting down and if you hit uh competition depth they they do help a lot but i mainly wear them because of my joints and they same thing with a belt you know you can help brace against something um <clears throat> but a lot of people you know don't face i mean they might face some injuries here and there um because like we as humans aren't meant to lift that amount of weight like me lifting what i do i've really no business doing uh when it comes to human nature standpoint but uh you know there's a lot of ways you stay safe especially in a competition um at the virginia pro uh where i was just at they had spotters uh they were really really good uh and it was really well executed um you know, I, I was able to witness Ray Williams squat a thousand pounds. It was making me nervous because they yeah. had like seven guys there, you know, and if that's sh- like, you got to walk that weight out and, you know, you're putting all that weight on one leg, one wrong move and your stuff will snap really quick. I actually, <laughs> I actually had an incident where I think I had like 465 on my back and I had my squatting shoes on and I like twisted, I like brought my heel inwards, my right heel inwards. And it was at the time I still had like a little bit of an ankle injury. And it, I, ha- I still have the video, it like twisted in and then out again. So I was like on the side of my foot and I managed to be, get back to being flat footed. And I was fine. I was able to squat it because I squatted it afterwards. But, you know, that could have gone south really, really fast. So, I mean... It's a little bit, I'd say a little bit dangerous, but when you have like safety guards and really good spotters, you're fine. Um, and the same thing with like uh bench, if you have somebody that is there with you, you should be fine. You really have nothing to worry about. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like one of the biggest things I've been impressed with, with um, you particularly is because you've been able to go so long with like almost no injuries. Like the only real injuries I can think that you've had are, from like playing basketball or something else, but not really anything lifting related, it seemed like. So um, we'll definitely talk about that later within like your actual, like what your training is like, because I'm sure you have a lot of recovery focused stuff and just like the way it's structured in general to make it so that you're not really putting yourself in a situation where you could get injured. But uh, going back to like talking about that meet, that meet day, one of your first times um, actually competitively lifting. um, So what was that like? how did you prepare for it like during that day? Like what were you feeling? Um, and just what goes on there? Uh, so the night before you are like really, really excited. I mean, I waited, uh, this is like a year and a half in the making because my coach wanted me to wait off to compete. Um, and the night before I went to bed, I think at like 11 or something. And I had to get up at like seven 30. So, um, I ended up actually getting, I think, eight hours or eight hours and 15 minutes of sleep because uh, I took melatonin too. Uh, I don't recommend that at all. <laughs> but I took melatonin and I basically just passed out. Um, and just a side note, I do have a ring. It's called Aura Ring. I use it to track my sleep. That's kind of how I keep my peace of mind uh, on the recovery side of things because sleep is one of the most important things. Wait, um, the Aura Ring? Is that, yeah. uh, is that like the whoop? If you've ever heard of that, like that you, I hate the wolf and you put around, or is it different? Well, it's similar and different. What it does is you put it around, uh, preferably either your pointer, middle, or ring finger, 
And what it does is it has sensors and, um, you know, it can sense, I, I forget what all, all the sensors do. I know one of them monitors your heart rate um, and it has really cool uh, features. Let me pull it up really quick, actually. Um, Cause you basically get like a readiness score and a sleep score from the night before. I just don't like the whoop because it doesn't go around. Like you have, it's really a lot more accurate for it to be on your finger here instead of your wrist. So that's why I don't like uh, using that. But uh, here, kind of cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, it's it's it, it was two hundred and fifty dollars when I got it, but I had the money to get it, so I was like, you know, I definitely want to take my recovery seriously, and it it definitely helps. I feel I feel the difference for sure. But it has um on your readiness, like your resting heart rate, HRV balance, body temperature, recovery index, sleep, and your sleep balance. And then on your sleep score, your total sleep, uh, your efficiency, REM, deep, latency, uh, your timing, like when you go to bed, um, and your restfulness. So funny thing, just not to sidetrack too much, but the first time I ever wore it, I had like a sleep score of like 55. And I was looking at my sleep chart and it said I had an efficiency of like 90%. And I like freaked out because I didn't know that humans don't sleep the entire time they're in bed. So I like freaked out and got really worried. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit weird, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, it, it was like, I was like mind blown. I was like, what is wrong with my sleep? That's so bad. But it's actually really good. Um, but anyway, um, I ended up getting eight and a half hours of sleep that night. Uh, woke up, drove over to the place um and a lot of these meets are held in like literal gyms um they have when you walk in uh it's the gym that the meets in and then they have a rack and the, a rack like in the middle of the uh whatever area uh the spotters and everyone will be at um they have like a platform with a carpet because that's what we compete on is actually carpet um and then behind it is like a whole like a big banner that just says like USAPL or USA powerlifting or something like that. Um so that's really cool. You have like a background so when you're recording, you know, you don't see the people in the warm-up room because they have a warm-up room where you warm up for your attempts and stuff like that. Um so a lot of what I remember is once once you get there, you're just kind of hanging out and then they call you for weigh-ins. Uh you weigh in um, if you make weight, great. If you don't, you bump up a weight class. After that, I went into the warm-up room and I actually didn't start warming up immediately. I did have my coach there, which was really good. Um, but so we had females and males uh, and the females go first. So we were waiting probably like half an hour until we started warming up. And then um, you get your chance to warm up um and then you have three attempts on each lift um and the first one should be really easy the second one should look kind of hard and then the third one is probably the most you think you can do or um if you you can also do it like you know your first attempt is basically a guarantee and then your second one is your hardest. And then your third one, you kind of just yellow it and do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, you do those three attempts for squat bench and deadlift. Um, and then you have judges, ones in front of you, 
uh, probably like six or seven feet in front of you, uh, and then two on the side. Um, so they give you uh, three white lights, or or they give you a white light or a red light. Um, so you need two to have a good lift. Um, and if you get two white lights, you're good. Um, but if you get two red lights, then it's a bad lift. So the judging is pretty strict in this uh, federation, I'd say, for sure. Yeah. So like, what are some of the things those judges are looking at to make the decision if it's a good or bad lift? Because I know with powerlifting, you can explain a little bit. Um, there's actually different nuances that you kind of have to follow where like on the bench, you can't just bounce it off your chest. Like a lot of people do, you gotta (laughs) pause down there before you bring it up, which makes it a lot tougher. So like, what are some of the things that judges are actually looking for? Um, so for squat, they are looking for the two, two or three things. The first one is when you get under the bar to go squat, um, you kind of walk it out. And then the middle judge will have his hand out. He'll say squat, and then you go squat down, and you come back up. But once you come right back up, you can't re-rack it. You have to stand there for about a second or two until they say to re-rack it. So that's the one thing is they command you to do it. Um, And people did get red-lighted in our competition for that. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things. The second thing is the side judges. They're looking at your hip crease versus where your knee is. So that's how they judge it. So your hip crease, like pretend you're squatting down and you have a video camera on the side and you squat down, that the hip bend has to be parallel. So it has to be like a straight a straight line. And if it's above like that, if it's above just like by a little bit, some of those refs will call it, especially at a high level meet that isn't local. Um, but they're looking for, they're basically looking for 90 degrees or less. If you go less, you get red lighted. Um, I, at my meet all three times by the same judge, I got red lighted on the, I think it was the right side. I got red lighted every time. And my second squat, I thought I buried it. It was ridiculous. So they're pretty strict on judging. I mean, you can look at the videos on my Instagram from that day. Uh, that final squat got red lighted on the on the one side. So it was still a good lift, but I still got red lighted. So it's a lot of technical things that are uh, that kind of separate a competition from a gym lift. That's one of the major major things that is different. Um, on bench, same thing. Uh, you unrack it. They tell you to bench. Uh, they say. Uh, they say bench, and then once you go down, you have to rest it on your chest. Now, what they're looking for when the bar is on your chest is for the bar to be completely still. So it's not a certain amount of time. Um, it's for the bar to rest on your chest. So it could be anywhere from half a second to literally two seconds. Some of these judges are really strict. Um, and that's another thing that kind of goes in the competition day is like what kind of calls you're going to get for benching. Because the difference between half a second versus two can literally be 15 or 20 pounds on your total, which is a lot. Um, on bench, your butt can't come off of the, the, um, the bench and your feet have to be completely flat. So you can't have your feet elevated whatsoever. Um, those are the three things that they look for on, on bench. On deadlift, 
all you do is you go out there, you set up for your deadlift. They don't even, they don't say anything. You just set up. Um, and then you deadlift, you have to lock it out. And then they say down, uh, when you lock it out, you have to stay locked until they tell you to go down. Um, and at the most recent meet that I went to to spectate, uh, this guy was 145 pounds and he pulled 700 and he got red lighted for an up and down motion. Um, if you can kind of visualize this, imagine just standing straight up and then literally like putting your chest in front of you like half an inch and then coming back up. That's that's three red lights. It's not a good lift. It's up and down motion. Um, so that, that's another thing, you know, versus a gym lift that would have been good uh, in that meet. It wasn't good because of that downward motion. The other thing is called soft knees. Um, I never got called for this, but when you are this is specifically sumo too. Uh, when you are locked out, your knees need to be fully extended um, and some of them will not be fully extended. And like I said, some of those judges are very harsh, but those are the things they look for in deadlift. Uh, one thing they do before you lift, um, you have a lifter before you usually, uh, if you're not opening, um, and they'll sit, they'll yell out that the bar is loaded. That's your indication to come out and do what you got to do. You have a minute to make a lift. So it's a really long time, but that's another thing that that, happens out of me so for these red lights can you like argue or contest against them yes you can you can contest if it's two red lights and one white light um and i forget specifically some of these meets yet you, you literally uh no for the ipf you literally have to pay a hundred dollars to do that because what would happen is if you contest the red light correctly then you get your $100 back. They're just trying to prevent people, um, you know, shout out to all the Russians. Uh, they're trying to prevent people from just contesting every single lift that they possibly can because it, take, it takes a lot of time out of the whole meet. Um, so contests aren't very common, but what happens during a contest is you have those three judges and then you have a jury. Uh, the jury are refs that are in attendance that look at the footage again. Um, and those refs decide if it was good or not. Um, don't quote me on that. I, I've never actually been a part of a contest, but, you know, I've heard a lot about it. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how it goes. In the USAPL, you don't need to put any money to contest. Um, you know, contests are not very common because usually like nine times out of 10, the judges do get it right. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how contests would go. So for meet day, do you use like pre-workout? Is that allowed? Are there certain things like what's allowed versus what's not allowed for these meets? Yeah, you can use pre-workout. Uh, the USAPL is very strict on drug use um, to a point of really being really annoying like you can take um an over-the-counter medicine and if you take that too close to a meat and they drug test you you could fail it i don't remember specifically all of the like they have a whole forum of what's banned on there um 
but like tobacco isn't banned because I, I guess you can't test for that or whatever. Um, but you do get drug tested at the meet. Um, I believe it's, I believe it's 10% of the lifters have to be drug tested. So at, at a meet, you'll have 10% of all the lifters that were there. If you have 20 lifters, two of them get drug tested. So not every meet you're getting drug tested. Um, but you know, you run the risk of getting drug tested. Now in the USAPL, have people gotten away with using PEDs? Definitely. Um, but if you're on a level where you're trying to be one of the best, you're going to end up either one, either losing all those gains. So you did it for nothing or two. Um, if you are doping, and you've never been tested before, if you get to that level, they have something called OMTs, which is out of meat testing. So that's when they will literally knock on your gym doorstep or your house if they see a lift that you did in the gym and they will drug test you. So you can basically get drug tested at any point in time. Uh, there's been instances where uh, one of these guys have, you know, hit a 700 pound deadlift and literally 10 minutes later, they're knocking on their door, drug testing him. So it, they're very strict about it. Um, if you're going to dope at a local level, um, I think you're a piece of crap. There's really no reason for it. I, I don't see why you would do that. Um, but yeah, they're very on it. I'd say. Once your powerlifting career ends, would you ever consider doping just to, I don't know, maybe become more aesthetic or to get stronger? Probably not. I mean, I like doping. I've never had that urge. Um, when I'm done, when, like when it's all said and done, I think I would probably be like 35 at the time. <laughs> so um, probably would not use any kind of PEDs. Um, I would definitely be open to using TRT, which is a replacement therapy. It's uh, testosterone replacement therapy. So once you get older, around 35, 40, your testosterone starts to decrease about 1% every year. Um, and TRT basically replaces that 1%. So it's not adding more. It's just adding, uh, it's adding more to what was there. So uh, and there's also HRT, hormone replacement therapy. That's another thing. Um, but those are for replacing what was already there once you lose it. Um, but I don't think I'd ever use a PED just to, you know, just for the heck of it. I don't think I'd do that. So do you think it's a common thing for people to try to dope like under the table, like not get caught? I know I've been with you even at the gym before. And people have literally like asked you, like, what do you take? Because they see you squatting or training and it's just so crazy. Um, but like, do you see it a lot or is it more of a respected thing where people actually will follow the rules and they, they want to be natural and they want to compete fairly? Uh, to me, I haven't seen many people do it. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do it, actually. Um, you know, and if they have, they've gotten away with it, whatever. Um, but I think it's more, it's definitely more respected than not. I don't think there's many people that are going to a meet and doping and getting away with it because if you're doping and getting away with it, you probably didn't place top three. And if you didn't place top three, nobody really cares. So, you know, I placed top three, um, and the number two guy got tested 
So if you're going into a meet thinking you're going to be one of the best and you're doping, you have a very high chance of getting drug tested. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people do it. Um, people have done it and have gotten caught and they just get suspended for however long. Um, it could be a year, it could be two years, uh, whatever the case may be. But uh, if they get caught, you can get reinstated. So it's not like you can't ever go back. But, um, you know, that's kind of how that works. So with that perspective that you really haven't seen many people doping or trying to do it because it's just not really realistic. Um, do you think the USAPL should test that much and really just make sure that people aren't cheating? Or do you think it's a little bit unnecessary? No, nah, that's the reason why they don't do it because they because they drug test so much. It's so it's so tight to like it's just very it's very hard to get away with it. It really is. Um, like I said, if you're trying to get to an elite level, you are definitely going to get caught. There's no question about it. I mean, if you do three meets and you place top three, you basically have a hundred percent chance of getting drug tested. Because they have you, they have everybody in a database, you know. So, th you know, they they say the drug testing is random, you know. I don't want to say it's not, but I don't think it's one hundred percent random. Um, to touch on what you said earlier about like people in the gym asking me about that, um, I kind of go like I used to get like really annoyed with it, um, but now I kind of take it more as a compliment. Um, the fact that people think I'm on something when I'm really not, um, you know, and I'll tell them I'm in a drug tested federation and, you know, that doesn't mean anything to them. Um, I take it more as a compliment. I don't really get too pressed about it. Um, I just kind of like laugh it off and say, you know, whatever. Like my friends, they'll literally say that just to just to mess with me. Um, but as a general thing, um, there are a lot of people that are using PEDs in a regular gym and you wouldn't even know it. It's, it's pretty crazy. They're not hard to get. They're not hard to get to, um, especially SARMs. Uh, you can, you know, I know people that have been on SARMs. They don't compete, but I do know them, uh, you know, and you can get a crazy, crazy aesthetic physique that way. Um, and I don't really you know, knock anybody for doing that. You know, I only knock you if you're trying to cheat in a drug tested federation. If you want to do it to look the best you can, go ahead and do it. I don't think that's a big deal. It's just when you're trying to get a level up on the competition and the competition isn't allowed to do that, then that's where I kind of have a problem. But there's a lot of people that do it that you would, that, you know, their physiques don't look very good. It's crazy. So then, what is your stance? And you can explain a little bit what's actually going on here with the uh, USAPL and IPF kind of conflict that's kind of been <laughs> developing. I know you know a lot more about it than I do. Um, if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So um, to make it clear, the IPF is the umbrella. So they're like the top. Uh, and the USAPL used to fall under that umbrella. Um, and now they're not with them anymore. But in like other countries, they have other federations that fall under that umbrella. And uh, there's a new federation called Powerlifting America that will also fall under that umbrella. Um, so that's how you compete in the IPF. Um, but they basically split because the USAPL was, you, was drug testing too much 
um, and they were using a third-party drug tester, which was which the IPF did not like. Um, I believe it was because of money. Um, them going through WADA, um, which is the drug testing agency, World Anti-Doping Agency, um, was too expensive. So they used a third party to do the drug test, which was cheaper, which allowed them to do more drug tests. Um, and the IPF didn't like that at all. Um, and, you know, the USAPL and IPF have kind of been feuding for the past few years. So this was kind of like a long time coming. We already knew it was going to happen. Um, and they basically split because we did too much drug testing. Um, and now there is a new federation going under that umbrella. But I, you know, I think it's really good for the USAPL. Um, a lot of like there's elite lifters right now that are kind of going back and forth um not at each other but like through federations because they want to you know have the title of a world champion and other people are going through the usapl which you know you can become a pro um which is just introduced uh literally this past weekend um and you know they're kind of like split between that my take on that is it's kind of like the nba you know you have the nba and you're you know, if you're LeBron James and you win a ring, you know, you're still considered the best in the world because the USA is where the competition is. Um, people that are lifting like from China um, and other places like that, they don't even come close to some of these guys in the USAPL. So I feel like there's kind of a, I don't know, double-edged sword to calling yourself a world champion when you're not going up against the best. I don't think that's where the best competition is. That's kind of interesting because I feel like when you think of very strong lifters, personally, I think of like, like you said, the Chinese, um, Russians, just a lot of international lifters versus the USA. So you definitely think that still the top competition is in the USA, like, like basketball. And if you're, if you're the, if you're the top of the USAPL, then you're pretty much considered the top of the world. Yeah, I'd say I think it's more of like a title, you know, when you're when you go the IPF route, you go to be a world champion. And that's kind of the title that a lot of people are seeking. Um, there's a lot of people from like Great Britain. And I think I think Australia, if I'm remembering correctly, there are very, very strong people there and not to discredit anybody from you know, overseas, that is very strong. I just think the amount of competition that is in the USAPL is like light years away. Like It's crazy. Like this past meet I went to, the competition was crazy. And that was without some of the best lifters from the USAPL because they're going the IPF route. So it's really, really tight. So we've, we've talked about powerlifting as a sport and as a whole, but um, when did you start to really become passionate about powerlifting and really get into it? That's a tough question, honestly. I think uh, I think when COVID started, you know, I had I was studying for my real estate license and basically had nothing else to do. Um, I started in twenty. 2019 I think um and 
I think I probably really got like seriously into it is that time of COVID, uh, maybe right before COVID, actually. Um, I'd say February 2020 is when I got really into it. Um, and then from February of 2021, circling all the way back to now, almost a year later, um, definitely now is when I became the most passionate just because like the people that I'm seeing and going to that most recent meet that Virginia pro it was put on like like a like a real professional atmosphere um and I think that it's going in like the right direction like after that meet I like was very very motivated um you know just seeing like the best go at each other and for me personally um trying to get to that level that's something that you know kind of lights a fire um but yeah, that I'd probably say 2020, February 2020 is when I got really, really passionate about it. So like, was there a certain like moment where you were at the gym and you're just like, I'm going to do this? Because I feel like most people just go, they work out. They never really have that moment where like, maybe I could pursue powerlifting as an actual sport. Um, so like, how did that kind of happen? Uh, I always get these dates mixed up. I think it was... Like my senior year, um, October of my senior year, it was October of 2020 um, to the day, actually, October 17th of 2020. Um, I decided I was going to just like max out on squat for some reason. Um, I had just gotten back into lifting in August of 2020. So just a couple months before that. Um you know, I, I used to play basketball a lot and I just didn't really lift very much between my junior year and that time. Um, so I started working out again um, and I was able to squat like two plates. I was down at the beach and I went to the YMCA with a friend and I was able to squat two plates. And I was like, uh, I guess that's good. You know, I, I guess that's good enough. Um, and then a couple of days later, I was still down at the beach. I went down there again. Um, I squatted like 250 and I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't think it's too impressive, but whatever. Um, and then October that, that day, I still remember it was a Friday night. Um, and it was me and like three other friends at the time. Um, and my girlfriend was there and we were at one of the racks at the Y and we were just working out and I decided to squat. So I was like, I'm just going to go for a max here. Um, so I ended up going for 275 and it moved pretty like heavy. And then my coach, who at the time was a complete stranger to me, told me to put a belt on. So it was one of these really crappy YMCA belts that were like Velcro and, you know, not really good. Um, I put the belt on and I did 315 with the belt. <laughs> It was really, really, oh yeah, it was really weird. And then, and then this was really stupid of me. I decided to do it again with 320. So literally a 2.5 on each side with the same weight, um, which you should never do that. Don't do that. But I did it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, wait, wait, wait. So why can't you do that? What's, what's the reason? Going, going for your max attempt. And then going for five pounds after your max attempt, you're probably not going to be at your strongest. That's like me going for 495 and then going for 500 right after. It just doesn't, it, it's just dumb. Okay, you know, that makes sense. You know, if you didn't do 495 and you warmed up with like 
470, you probably could have gone for like 510. You know, you're just leaving weight on the bar. Um, and you can get injured. I didn't have knee sleeves at the time and it was a really crappy belt. So, you know, I could have hurt myself. Um, but that's when that, that was the first time that I squatted like a lot. Um, and there's this guy, Russell Warhe, he, He's one of those, uh, you know, anomalies of a human. Um, he's a four-time world champion, so he's pretty, you know, prestigious. No way he's ever done what he's done. Um, I started watching him on YouTube uh, before that, so I was kind of like, you know, kind of getting into it watching him. Um, and then fast forward a couple weeks later, um, and my coach – who was then still kind of a stranger, uh, him and I started talking. Um, and he like kind of jokingly said like he could start programming me. He was like, yeah, if you want, I can start programming you and stuff like that. And um, I said, yeah, sure. I'll take you up on it. Um, and he gave me this program that was called Candido six weeks to strength. I think it was called. Uh, you can look it up. If you literally just look up Candido. I think you sent me that specific yeah strength like workout when i was asking about a training plan yeah i did yep it's that it was that um that he put me on i think for two cycles to 12 weeks um and then february i maxed out again um i also did another program uh somewhere in between there so it was a total of like 16 weeks um and then i decided to max out again um and this is when I like max out all three of my lifts. Um, and he was there. That was also another Friday night. And my, I forget, my squat was like 355. My deadlift was 305. My deadlift was horrible. Um, and my bench was like 185 touch and go. So it was pretty, pretty bad. Um, and then my coach that night, I texted him. I said, like, can you start coaching me? Like, I'm serious. And he said, yeah. And then, uh, the rest is basically history. Um, I think if I'm not mistaken, we went on program for 36 weeks. Uh, I maxed out again in October of, uh, 20. Yeah, no, it was October, 2020, I think. I always get the date. I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020 when I started because it's been like technically less than two years of me powerlifting. So it would have been 2019 when I started, not 2020. Um, and in October of 2020, uh, we were on program for 36 weeks. I maxed out again. Um, I forget exactly what my numbers were, to be honest with you. Um, but then we went on program again. And we did a mock me in June, which I do remember because that was this past June. Uh, I squatted 465. Uh, I benched 225 and I deadlifted uh, 475. Um, and then after that, we went back on program to my now meet. And then I totaled what I totaled in my meet. And then two weeks after, like I had a two week period between my meet, um, literally three days after my meet, I was at, uh, power building King of Prussia, great gym. And I decided to max out on squat. Uh, and I got the 500 and literally three days after that I did 495, um, at that same gym. 
uh, and it moved a lot faster than five. I probably had five of five or five ten. Um, and then I did my deadlift at five hundred, and then a couple of days later did five of five, and then now I'm back on program. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our talk with Jack. Please stay tuned for part two, where he goes more in depth into his training, as well as recounting his world record attempts. For our listeners out there, please check out expedition.success on Instagram. If you would like to talk about today's episode, have any questions or recommendations, please reach out on our Instagram or through our email at expedition.success.podcast at gmail.com. Once again, Thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.